Hello and welcome to this mini episode of the Spotlight Podcast. Today I'm talking to Josh Matheson about how to audition with an accent. Um, Josh trained at Central. He's the head of voice and co-vice principal at the Musical Theatre Academy. And he's also a voice teacher at the Independent Centre for Actor Training. He's voice, voice coached and directed lots of theatre productions. So he's a perfect person to answer this question. Oh, that's very kind of you. <laughs> Welcome, Josh. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> I want to start by asking you um, how you came to work in voice specifically. Was there something that attracted you to that field? Sure. So um, I finished my undergraduate degree in drama and creative writing and ended up kind of filtering my way into device theatre performance making. Um, I ran my own company for a while and did a lot of um, creating my own work, um, which ended up purely by happenstance, uh, being for children and families. So I ended up working a lot with, with, with that as, a, as, a, as an audience uh, that I was making my work for and a lot of um, education tours and, and, and working in the, the sort of the fringe circuit. Um, and, and by its nature, I suppose, children's theatre allows you to be a lot more um, expressive and gives so much opportunity for, for character work. So I found myself um, really enjoying the multi-rolling element of my work, really enjoying the finding new characters, um, finding new voices for those characters. Um, and I'd always had an interest and an aptitude in accent work. And so then I was working on, a, on an acting job. Um, a number of years ago and just got talking to the voice coach who was on that on that production um, fascinated by what she did fascinated by how she came to do what she did where she trained to do that um, and I ended up kind of shadowing her on a number of projects um, leading up to to my training at, at Royal Central um, which was um, a wonderful course the, the MA voice studies course there um, and that kind of jettisoned me into into the industry and and, and I've been very lucky to, to have been working quite consistently ever since I graduated. Um, and so I, I find myself splitting my time equally between between accent and dialect work, um, whether it be kind of one-to-one with, with actors, um, training actors, um, sometimes corporately as well, and then practical voice and, and sort of the other side of, of voice work. So that's, that's really me in a nutshell. Oh, fabulous. Thank you. Um, I want to start by kind of going right in there and asking you, mm. do you think that there are some accents that are more difficult for someone to nail than others? <laughs> um, yes, though not, I, I wouldn't say it's just kind of, there, there are difficult accents and easy accents. It all depends on where you're starting from. Uh, so with accent work, it's, it's always worth thinking, okay, wh- wh- what am I? Can I understand my own accent, my own voice? Uh, and what I have to do to travel to the target accent that I'm working toward. So it's not a case that, that you know, I could list what are the difficult accents. I could tell you what, um, you know, some people have found more struggle with, but I think it's where you're starting versus where you've got to get to um, and how muscularly different that target accent is from your own. And that's what tends to make it more difficult, I think. I've heard it said that it's actually more difficult to nail an accent that's sort of similar to your own but a bit different than it is something really far away. Yes. Do you think that's true? I think there, there is a truth in that. And, and when you're looking at muscular differences, which are, which are subtle, um, but are important in, in, the, in the interest of authenticity, um, unless you have the, the, uh, the awareness and the, the, the precision of your listening skills to be able to go, okay, there is a tiny little difference between that and that. Um, yes, it can be difficult if, if you're looking at those accents, which 
which don't sit sit too far away, uh, ones perhaps that you've been surrounded by growing up but are not your own, and so you're like, well, I don't hear the difference between me and, and that accent. That, right. Um, so sometimes that can be a, a, just as much of an issue as if something's very, very different and you're using sounds that you've never made before in your life. Right, of course. Two, two different challenges, but yeah, yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So I want to ask you then, you were kind enough to actually lead a workshop with us just yeah. recently, which was for younger performers, mm. um, but sort of the key skills that were being imparted in that were about preparing for an audition. Sure. Um, when you've only got 24 hours to prepare yeah. and you've got to do something in a completely different accent to yeah. your own, yeah. where the heck do people start? I know, right? <laughs> so that's what that's what our My Accent workshop that I did recently was, was kind of based around. It was based around... Um, a toolkit and right. seeing what, what, what tools have you got in your arsenal to be able to, to have a good go at an accent which is new to you with, with, with little or, or no time at all. Um, so that's what that workshop was based around. But really it was, uh, it was giving people a number of different options as an entry point. Uh, and when you've got very little time and you're working towards the sounds, sounds that you've never made before, putting them together in the context of an accent that you've never had to, to vocalise and to embody, um, you just need to be able to find something, a way in. Um, and I think some of the, the participants in that workshop were, sort of took reassurance in the fact that actually, um, from me as, a, as an accent coach and often from a casting director's point of view, they want to hear that you have given it a go right. and they want to hear moreover that you are coachable they want to hear mm. that, you, that, that if they gave you a note in the room you could implement that note and, and then carry that forward not necessarily that it's going to be a completely polished Perfect. Yeah. product as it were right. well that's um, a relief yeah absolutely <laughs> um, and of course then you know that time can be allowed um, beyond that point uh, to, to refine that accent and to make it better but you know we're aware that sometimes if you if you if you've got that casting call the day before and you've never had to sound Scottish before, right. that, you know, that's going to be a challenge. But if you can if you can give it a good good whirl, then that that's reassuring from from my point of view as listening to to the actor. So yeah. So what's sort of the first thing that person should do when they've actually got the lines that they've got to prepare? Um, say that they. Yeah, maybe they have a sort of more soft mm. Southern English accent of some description. Then sure. yes, they've got to go Scottish. Yeah, where do they start? Yeah, breaking that down. <laughs> that's that's an easy one to answer, and that's listening. Right, listening is always the first thing you need to do, um, but. It's about how you how you activate that. And I, I believe that listening is a tool. It's not just something that you can let passively wash over you. I'm not just going to be listening to a bunch of, you know, Scottish voices that I know. It's about how I can make that a very active, proactive process of right. listening. So it's first of all, where do I go to listen? Um, and unfortunately, one of the, the downsides of, of the, the World Wide Web, I suppose, is that it's, there's just a plethora of stuff out yeah. there. So you're like, okay, I need to sound Scottish by tomorrow. The first thing that most people are going to want to do is just you know type into google how to do a scottish accent right <laughs> now that's that's great in one sense but what you what you end up throwing up is a bunch of people who uh, you know have a decent enough camera who've made a little video saying this is how you do a scottish accent not necessarily a native scottish speaker at all and and i suppose it's very hard to know how authentic that is it's very right. hard to know the credentials of that person who you're talking to so you, you don't have that that the necessary necessary verification of the person who you're learning from yeah absolutely. so so going with an with a how-to video whilst there are some brilliant ones out there if you don't know what you're looking for can mm, you, can, you can end up yeah with a bit of a red herring and end up learning sounds that aren't quite accurate so 
by that token, it's always worth going for a native speaker and thinking about where you can go for that. If you're going for um, a native speaker in a more conversational context, you're going to get a sense of that accent um, holistically right. rather than maybe just from a, a, an actor who's doing a monologue in their Scottish accent where you're gonna, it's going to be filtered through, through a performative lens, perhaps. Right. So thinking about finding local news items that you can search for on YouTube or what have you, or um, digital radio is a fantastic thing because we can be sitting here in London and tune in to Glasgow FM or whatever it might be right, right from here because we've got that option because most radio stations are digital. So then we can listen to that local phone-in about that local issue and you get that conversational sense of, of that particular accent. So it's knowing where to go in the first instance and then what you're listening for when you do. Um, and I think for me, there I always work with four broad categories in terms of um, access points for an accent. That being um, the vowel sounds that you can hear, the consonant sounds that you can hear, um, the, the musicality of the accent in a broad sense, and also the placement of how that kind of feels in your mouth, mouth looks in right. your mouth, that sort of stuff. And I find that different accents will err towards one of those categories over another. Um, some accents, the first thing you hear is the, the vowels are very pronounced. The vowels are very um, accentuated versus my own accent, for example. Or what I'm hearing is a very is a very clipped consonant quality. Right. What I'm hearing is that they're clearly using a lot more of their mouth than I am. So it's knowing which one of those points to, to, to start with. Right, as uh, an access. Exactly, and that mm. can be your, then your way in. Um, so it's it's knowing where to go to listen, and then it's knowing what to listen for when once you are listening. So, yeah. And then is it just about sort of basically playing with it, just having it in the mouth and just trying to experiment a little and get it as much into you as you can in yeah. that limited time that you've yeah, got? Yeah, yeah. So knowing how you like to learn is always a really useful um, piece of knowledge to have acquired. So whether yeah. you are a more of a kinesthetic person and you, you need to put it in your mouth and have a feel, whether, whether just listening uh, gives you then the skills to be able to then repeat and if you're, if you're quite a good mimic, then that might be a way in for you. Whether you are slightly more... Um, phonetic-y, really writey and yes. would like to write some stuff down yes. if the phonetic side of things or writing orthographically works for you um, that can be a really useful tool um, so yeah so it's knowing it's knowing you and having the autonomy to go okay I know that for me if I can feel it in my mouth I've got a sense of the groove that I'm slipping into right. or it's I need to write it down and annotate my script and go okay every time there's an a vowel it changes to an e vowel and then I've got that that kind of sense of whatever it might be right um so it's yeah it's it's knowing you and then knowing how you're gonna play with it but playing is is definitely a key word there helpful yeah, yeah just trying <laughs> stuff out and not being afraid to voice it um and never get down the the, the notion of just doing it in your head like if you're right, sitting in your room oh, okay i've got to learn this accent so i'm just gonna try and do these things in my head you've got to get it out loud you've got to be hearing those sounds in the room to know what you're working with record yourself listen to it back get other people to listen to you Compare that to your to your source material that you found, your listening source, um, and work from it from there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I want to ask you your opinion on this next thing, which is that I know you've directed as well, so mm. I'm kind of interested to see what you think. But okay. so a common question that we get right. is um, for the person who's sort of quite nervous mm. and a bit freaking out before their audition, we often get asked, is it okay if I just walk in with the accent already on? as opposed to saying, hello, hi, I'm so-and-so in your native accent, and then switching. Do you think there's a problem with that? If you just go in and speak immediately, for instance, in my case, in an American accent, if I just suddenly started talking like that, would that be weird, or is that okay? I don't think so. 
the casting director may well know what your native accent is if you put that on your on your spotlight page or you yeah. put that on whatever. Uh, it may be apparent, uh, so that you might you might get a raised eyebrow. Say, oh, I was <laughs> expecting a I was expecting a Geordie, and all of a sudden you've walked in and you're Irish. This is interesting. But I think you know everyone has their own process and everyone has their own way of doing things. It wouldn't bother me mm-hmm. sitting on a sitting on a on a casting panel to have somebody to, to hear somebody coming in and introducing themselves in the accent that I know they're going to adopt. Um, I might ask the question of, of, of why have you chosen to do that, and is it is it do you feel like you just need to sort of get yourself into the the groove? But if people want to want to go down a more um, immersive route uh, where they feel like they need to embody the accent, um, and if they're if that helps them, mm-hmm. why not? Why not? Would be yeah. my answer to that. So I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And if someone didn't choose to do that, if they come in and they say hello in their native um, way sure. of speaking, yeah. are there good ways to sort of quickly hook in? as soon as they do need to start talking in that other accent? Yeah, good question. Um, so trigger phrases are a big thing, uh, which some people find really, really useful. Th- and that's not, a, that's not a defined list of, okay, I can go through the accents and, and, and see what the trigger phrase is for that particular thing. I always work with actors on them finding their own trigger phrases. Right. So them being able to identify, for me, what they're hearing that's the most significantly different from their accent to the target accent and then taking those significant features of that accent and coming up with their own little short condensed phrase that seems to repeat those sounds or include all of those sounds and then they can use that as their trigger phrase um ideally by the time you get in the audition room it would be really useful if if that trigger phrase um you don't need to sort of say that out loud before you start. And right. Actually, you could perhaps work into, you're using the trigger phrase to get yourself used to the way your, your mouth is working in a different way, the sounds that you're making, but then actually be able to use the first line that you're going to be speaking as that way in. Yes. Um, so, that would yeah. be a good way to do it. That would be a nice way to do it. So you can just launch launch straight launch in, straight I suppose. In. Yeah. But I, again, I'm not going to besmirch anyone who feels like they need to say, hi, Nye, Brian, Kai, before <laughs> straight into their Northern Irish. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah. That was very nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely cannot do a Northern Irish accent. Um, I want to ask you next about sort of, because your workshop was specifically about younger performers, yeah. what the kind of differences are working with younger performers, um, particularly when maybe they haven't been fully trained yet. Mm. Um is there any sort of are there any sort of key skills that they should try to learn first as opposed to older performers? Yes, and and I think the main skill is autonomy. It's how how I how I learn myself and how I can application is is a big thing that I don't think you really learn until you're in further or higher education. So mm-hmm. if you go on to to, to a, a, a college environment or a, a sixth form environment, and, or and then go on to a university or a drama school environment, one of the main things that you take away is how I can absorb this information and then apply it for my own needs. So one thing that young people don't have because of the way that our education system is set up is that they don't have that ability necessarily to be able to be very conscious of their own learning, take that and go, okay, I need to do that with it and I can I can use this in all these different ways. Um, and younger performers sometimes um, will be very much more used to a prescriptive way of do this to get this, do this to get this, right. and do this to get this. Um, and I, I don't think it's ever too early to start teaching those skills. I think it's such a useful thing as an adult to be able to, to do those things. So why not start from eleven? Why not start from as soon as, as soon as you're there? Um, so that I think that's the main difference. Is that mm-hmm. sometimes you might need to be a little bit more. Well, this is right and this is wrong, and this is this is a way. Right, becoming more conscious. Way. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, but as soon as you're increasing that consciousness and that awareness of of the way that you like to learn, the things that you can do, the things that you can't do yet. Um, 
that then everything can kind of slot into place and you can find that you're able to take something a little broad like this is a toolkit and 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 then be able to intellectually maturely say i need this tool from my toolkit now right. and i don't need the rest mm-hmm. so that would be the the main difference i think between adult actors and, and young Younger performers, performers is that that might not be a fully developed skill yet right but otherwise the sort of toolkit that you draw on is quite similar yeah regardless yeah. of age oh yeah oh yeah i can yeah i pretty much teach the same things you know if you were six or if you were 66 so right <laughs> either way yeah <laughs> do you have any advice um for parents who are potentially supporting their children um learning an accent should they do what you just said and sort of google some things and show them to their kids and yeah i mean if you've got really young performers doing that internet searching for them and, and, and knowing how you can, as a parent, be supportive and facilitative in finding those source materials and being and being a listening ear um, in offering, you know, genuine opinions and not, that was really wonderful, well done, you're going to be amazing, but actually going, oh, do you know what? Th- that bit was really, really nice, but that, that vowel wasn't quite the same as the one that we listened to on, on YouTube, do you remember? And then seeing if we can, uh, uh, if we can work on that together and... and, and um, helping them through that repetitive process of okay, I just need to drill this particular sound because that's the one I keep stumbling right. on, and just being that extra listening ear. Which, to be honest with you, any actor can sometimes use a, a friend oh, absolutely. or, a, or yeah. a colleague to be able to go. Can you just listen to me and be really <laughs> honest? Um, so it's uh, yeah, again, it's not, no different. But parents can definitely help and be proactive yeah, in totally. making sure that their that their children are working from from a good from a good starting a point. Good starting point. Yeah. Because if you if you're listening to the wrong stuff in the first instance, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're already not off to the best start, perhaps. Yeah. For sure. I want to ask you the other very, you know, the most common question I think we get about access okay. is the RP. Right. What's your view on how someone, perhaps from a regional location, can actually slot into a good RP accent? Or what does that even mean, in your opinion? Yeah. Um, RP, received pronunciation, is, is what is sometimes colloquially referred to as BBC English. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm very pleased to, 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 to tell you that that's not really the case anymore. And if you watch, you know, the BBC, we get, we get all sorts of diversity, which is just fantastic. Um, but there was a time when, when, when the BBC were, were very prescriptive about the way they wanted their broadcasters to sound. Um, and that kind of became the that became the standard UK-wide, um, and drama schools would um, insist on their actors graduating having that sound, and casting directors would insist on that ha- having that sound. Um, and um, a lot of directors staging um, classical works in particular would say, well, it can only be performed in that sound. Um, and there's there's been a huge move um, in recent decades, so that's, that's not the case anymore, which is wonderful. That said... Um, particularly as uh, historical and period dramas and, and those oh, kinds yes. of things. And, and of course, the traditional canon um, are, are still very much in play. Um, it's a useful skill to have. And uh, within this country, steeped in its history and its class and it's all of those different complicated socio-things, um, it's a useful one to be able to do. But, but please don't mishear that as there's more of an onus on an RP than any other accent because... Um, the more we can take ownership of our accents and say, do you know what, this is where I'm from and I'm proud of this is where I'm from. And I can do an RP accent if it's required in the same way that I can do my my Scottish accent if it's required. I can do my Texan if it's required. There should, no, should be no weight on that RP over any other particular accent, but it is a useful skill to have. I think particularly, I work with a lot of musical theatre actors and students and right. within the... the 
the MT repertoire within that canon, RP and General American do tend to get uh, relied on more often than, than not. Uh, though again, it's very reassuring to hear that, that there's a shift in the contemporary musical leader that's coming out towards, um, re, you know, towards regional accents, towards um, away from that general American and that RP. But if you, you look, you look at the historical canon that's still being that's still being brought out, um, and those things are going to come in useful for you. Yeah, so, for yeah. sure. Yeah. It's a good skill to have, but it's a good skill to things have. are changing. It's no different to anything else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I want to wrap up on our questions now sure. and, and just ask you if you have any final advice um, for someone who's um, getting into different kinds of accent, accent work. How can they make that process successful and nail their audition? Sure. Um, so I, I, I'll go back to the notion of knowing how you learn in the first instance, knowing what, what works for you. If you're, if you're somebody who wants to write it all down and scribble and annotate like mad, that's great. If you want to be someone who's, who's a listen and listen and repeat kind of a person, if you need to get it in your mouth, if you need to be watching a speaker rather than listening to a speaker so you can get a sense of, of their range of movement with their mouth or their oral posture, whatever it might be, knowing what works for you knowing what you're listening for, knowing what your access point is, and, and knowing that if you're limited on time, it can seem an overwhelming task, but just anchor yourself to what are those significant features? What are the key players, if you will, between your accent and the target accent? And I'll say that again, you're working from your accent. You're not going right. via the accent coach <laughs> that you're working with, which is a, a, a misconception I think a lot of people have. They're like, okay, so I need to go via you, my accent coach or that person I'm listening to online, and then to the accent that I'm going to. Why, why would you have that, that middle person there? There's no need <laughs> for that. Just go straight to Just the accent. Just go from what, what do I sound like? What's different between me and that thing? That person that I'm trying to sound like, that accent, that part of the world? Great. I can I, I can find some some really big changes, whether they be consonant changes, vowel changes, musical intonation, prosodic changes, or, or placement changes, um, and start there. And then the more time you've got, the more nuance and, and specificity you can find. But um, but don't start with those subtle shifts if if the big ones haven't been addressed yet. Josh, thank you so much. If people want to get in touch with you or follow more of what you're doing, where can they do that? Sure, you can either head to my website, so that's www.joshmatheson.co.uk, or my Twitter handle is at MathesonJosh. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Josh. No trouble. It's been lovely being here. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's mini episode. If you've got any other questions you'd like us to answer on an upcoming podcast, you can get in touch with me, Christina Kerr, on Twitter, at Christina Kerr, or at Spotlight UK.